This is Asia's Farm to Fork Five Good Questions podcast, bringing you insights and views from across Asia's food value chain. Now for today's interview. Hi again, everybody. I'm Duke Kip, host of Asia's Farm to Fork Five Good Questions podcast. And uh, it's a special day today, International Women's Day, and we're joined by a very special guest uh, to talk about that. Uh, with us today is Elizabeth Hernandez, Head of External Affairs and Sustainability for APAC at Corteva AgriScience. Hi, Elizabeth. Hello, Duke. Thanks good for having me. Excellent. Yes, good to see you. Well, uh, it's a special day, and we wanted to get your perspective on a few different questions. So thanks for joining us. We'll, we'll jump right in, if that's okay. Sure. So, um, again, given today's International Women's Day, I'd like to get your view on, um, on this particular question. I, we know women play a crucial role in our rural communities with food production in particular. They make up over 40% of the agricultural labor force, produce more than half of all the food that's grown here globally, and then provide more than between 50 and 90% of the labor needed here in Asia just for rice cultivation alone. At the same time, we also know there's a host of data indicate that the disparity between women and women in rural communities is stark and damaging. Uh, last year, Crop Life Asia surveyed farmers from across Southeast Asia's biggest ag-producing countries, and when asked, over 65% of female farmers shared that they experienced some sort of gender inequality different, by different uh, measurements and metrics. By all accounts, this is a global problem, but uh, here in, in, in Asia in particular, what are some of the unique challenges for women in our, in our rural communities, our farm uh, communities, our rural communities here in the region? Well, thank you, Duke. I'm glad we're doing this on International Women's Day. I think International Women's Day should be every day. You know, here in Asia, as you look at who your food producers, as you see, there's been a feminization of agriculture as more men are moving into the cities for higher paying jobs. It's the women that are left to head up the rural households. But as I look at consumers and who's making that decision of what food to put on the table, it's also the women. Women are the link from farm to table. And in fact, the World Bank goes as far as saying that they're the backbone of many of the country's economies here in Asia. So when we wanted to address the challenge that women face around gender inequality in agriculture, we also did a global survey of over 4,000 women in agriculture and about more than 1,000 of them here in Asia and found that the trend was, yes, they also saw gender inequality, while it might vary from one country to another, they still see that. And largely the challenges they face were the lack of access to technology, lack of access to um, training and education, and then lastly, lack of access to finance. And while those challenges are common across the regions of the world, it's really perhaps more acute in Asia because of you know, the agriculture in Asia being primarily led by smallholder farmers, half of the world's poor are here in Asia. So their, their margins are so razor thin that when you add the complexity of gender inequalities uh, to it, then they, they really, you know, uh, suffer the most and have the least resources to, to help address that. So that's why at, at Proteva, we're making this a priority of the empowering the um, women in agriculture as a key priority that we do with many of our partners. And I should add perhaps, Duke, that I think what land ownership is perhaps the most difficult one that causes a lot of those other challenges, right? Because unless you have the ownership of the land, the land title, then you don't have access 
to credit or to the financing to be able to invest in your farm. No, absolutely. I mean, that's something we've heard certainly before from other other folks as well. It's just exacerbated by all these other issues that uh, that uh, farmers are facing and, and they're getting the very severe case of the uh, challenges they're, they're facing. So the second question, I'd like to pivot just a little bit, uh, looking at some of the impacts around climate change, right? Uh, we could know, according to the United Nations, 80% of those displaced by climate-related disasters and changes around the world are women and, and females, girls. Coming to light in last year's COP26 was a realization that women are bearing the brunt of this growing climate crisis. And the climate change is sadly, as we said, exacerbating all of the challenges women are already facing, particularly those in the rural communities. Of course, there's no silver bullet with this, but there are some steps we're taking or should be taking perhaps to support rural women in our region who are clearly disproportionately impacted by climate change. Could you share maybe some of those some of those ideas that you have or, or thoughts you have on that topic? Sure. I think um, one of the first things I would say is, yes, while women are probably disproportionately impacted by climate change, and as I said, uh, many of the men kind of, you know, are migrating outside of the the countryside and moving into better paying jobs in the city. So they're the ones left to deal with the farm, right, without necessarily the tools, the training and the financing to handle that. But at the same time, I want us to perhaps view these women as change agents, Right? Because they are dealing with, they're on the front lines, they're dealing with climate change and making those adjustments. But if they do have access to the tools and to mitigate against climate change, that you'll see them really apply these tools. And even uh, not only that, but uh, take and reinvest whatever they learn and the, the profits that they make back into the communities to make them better and more resilient communities. I'll take the example of a technology like hybrid corn, you know, that we've seen hybrid corn have a much higher yield. So you need, uh, you can produce much more corn in, in the same land that you would have. We've seen some women like Angelita Cerullo, for example, in the Philippines, she won the outstanding corn farmer of the year that the Department of Agriculture gives out in 2019. And just dialing back 10 years earlier, or 12 years earlier, she was being chased by debt collectors. But it was an introduction through the extension workers that were uh, introducing hybrid corn into her particular province in the Philippines that made her see that actually if she learned how to use and cultivate hybrid corn, the increase in yield was enough for her to have those profits and savings to feed back into her family. And so now, you know, she she's now not only an outstanding farmer for herself, and she uh, owns five hectares and probably... Um, uh, rents out another 15, cultivates a total of 20 uh, hectares of corn. But on top of that, she's training other women. She's often a speaker at many of these uh, training programs for other farmers. So she can share her experience. And, and because she's now in a much better financial position, she's building wells for safe drinking water for her community. She's hiring 15 indigenous uh, uh, tribe members uh, in her community. So you see her as a leader in the community and a powerful change agent once she's been empowered. And that's the kind of change you can have with many of these women, and particularly because they're reinvesting their learning and their profits into the community. But that's a very good point. I think that gets overlooked. It's, it's, uh, just As you said, it's not just the right thing to do to enable these female farmers to do, to grow more and to be enabled through, as you mentioned, some of those critical issues. It's, it's just good business. It makes a lot of sense as far as how we mitigate the impact of climate change. Absolutely. Well, 
Third question, does it get any easier? Looking at the topic, the other uh, challenging topic around sustainability, right? Around food production and, and sustainability. And as you know, there was a big discussion, very important discussion that was led last year by the United Nations, the Food Systems Summit, right? Which was looking at the 17 Sustainable Development Goals, the SDGs, and specifically looking at ways to ensure healthier, more sustainable, equitable food systems for everyone. So with that in mind, there was quite a, there was quite, a lot, quite a lot of discussion around the role innovation can play, should play in this space. And I know there are ways for Tava to help drive sustainability in our region through innovation. Maybe there's a bit you can share about, about that. Sure, definitely totally agree with you that innovation plays a key role in addressing the challenges we have around the food security and sustainability. And for us uh, at Cortava, I'll start with, I think we look at it from our own um, innovations, right, in the company, and having a very strong environmental requirement for the kinds of products that we produce, whether those are the seeds that we breed, you know, higher yielding, pest-resistant, drought-resistant um, uh, seeds that you can breed, uh, breed, and in particular with new breeding technologies like CRISPR-Cas, right, hopefully we'll be able to have more of these climate-resistant varieties. Then we look at how to protect that uh, seeds or that yield with crop protection products, right? Whether it's against new pests or new diseases that may come, you want to be able to provide those crop protection solutions. And then exciting part is how we're applying digital technologies as well and precision agriculture. All of that seeds, crop protection, and digital, I think is a kind of innovation that will bring the sustainable agriculture that we all want to see. Right. At, at Cortava, we talk about climate positive agriculture is what we want to see. It's, it's together with the practices that uh, in regenerative agriculture that will support uh, that sustainability that we all want. But the key is it's not just innovation in the products, but the key is the business model and the accessibility of these products, these solutions. You know, are we making these innovations available to smallholder farmers and particularly the women that uh, we're talking about today? And are we thinking of partnerships on the ground that will allow us to get these innovations into the hands of these farmers? And do we have a regulatory framework in these markets, in these countries that allow these innovations to get into the hands of the people who need it most? So yes, we have the innovations and we don't even have to think about future innovations. We have innovations today, simple things like mechanization that hasn't even made their way to many of uh, the women that are still doing things by hand. Think of the scenes of women backbreaking work, weeding you know, by hand because they don't have mechanization that would help make that uh, you know, easier for them, right? How do we Ensure that. So I think when we think of sustainability, and yes, while sustainability plays a key role, we need to think of as equally making sure that the access is there, whether that's financing, as well as the regulatory framework that ensures that that innovation makes it into uh, to the people who need it most. And so you have to look at it a, a lot holistically. And I do appreciate that what the UN Food Systems Summit did or tried to do is to really get us, all the stakeholders across the value chain to work together and to look at the problem uh, in a more holistic way. Yeah, well, that, you're, you're dead on. I bet we've heard that so many times in these discussions around the importance of, you know, we can have the best uh, innovations uh, you can imagine, but if, if, there's, if there's no regulatory framework underpinning that and ensuring that farmers have access to it, then unfortunately it doesn't mean a lot. So I want to touch on, if we could, maybe one thing you raised in that, in that answer as well, this partnership. I heard the word partnership in there, and I'd like to maybe with a fourth question get into that a little bit more. Uh, so many great things are being led by Corteva, 
by others as well in the region around, um, as we mentioned, innovation, sustainability, climate change. Um, but you know, it's, it's hard to go it alone with a lot of this work, and frankly, maybe uh, won't have the same impact going alone. So um, the importance of, of partnerships uh, addressing these challenges so so critical with food and agriculture partnerships in our region. What are the most important aspects in your in your estimation of making sure that these are successful, they work, that they're you know scalable and having impact? Well, what I've seen as uh, the partnerships that have worked well is the partnerships that are based on shared value. And, and you know, just a moment ago, we were talking about how we need to look at the value chain a little bit more holistically. And I think when we do that, and you have different parts or different stakeholders in the value chain involved in a partnership, they all contribute something to it, but they also get something, some value back, right, into um, in as part of the partnership. So let me uh, give you an example in uh, the island of Madura in Indonesia. You know, that's one area where we introduced the hybrid corn that I talked about earlier. But if you look at Madura, it's just off of East Java. East Java is farmers use that technology of hybrid corn very well already. Probably 90% of them are already uh, hybridized. But when you look at, you know, the island of Madura, a little bit more isolated, very traditional in their ways, they were still using the openly pollinated variety, they were probably at 10% hybridization only. And yet they're side by side. It's part of the same East Java province. And East Java is a major corn producer uh, of uh, Indonesia. So what we did was by introducing um, our hybrid corn technology into Madura, we thought we could really drive the, the improving the yields there. But we we're not successful initially in doing so. As I said, it's a very traditional uh, community there, but by working with an NGO, and we had a, a great partner that is uh, supported by the Australian and Indonesian government, Prisma, um, they, they're really their, their purpose of being there is to um, improve their rural incomes, right, of the farmers. But by having us come in as a technology partner, but then they went and looked for the off-takers that would then buy the corn produced by the the farmers. And once they got the off-takers as part of the partnership, they had a guaranteed market. They were able to then bring the uh, financing company, Bank Negara Indonesia, to come in. And so, and then through the sales and marketing practices they introduced, including demonstrations with uh, small plot demonstrations in front of the farming community, the, the 20,000 farmers were converted from the openly pollinated variety to hybrid corn. And in that two-year project, they were able to increase their income or their yield first by 130% and increase their income by 248%. And 26% of these farmers were women. And we saw even better performance with higher yields and higher profitability from, from the women. And what we've seen is in that partnership, everybody in that value chain really benefited, right? Most especially the farmers. And I think when you work this way uh, in a value chain and, um, and use the, the strength of the, the NGO that work with the local government, that work with the, the off-takers and the financing company to put together a complete you know, uh, sustainable value chain that now works there. And so that's how we, we try to look for that kind of um, uh, market-based approach to creating these partnerships. Yeah. Well, that's a compelling and great example of the power of our partnership. You're right. That's very good. Thank you for sharing that. Well, um, 
we'll come to the, to the close here of the interview. Uh, the fifth question, and with this, we'd like to maybe uh, lighten up a little bit. We've talked about all the challenges, uh, with a lot of them, certainly climate change, sustainability, and certainly the impact of a lot of these around uh, uh, female farmers, women in rural communities. But maybe uh, thinking ahead a bit, looking ahead uh, by five or 10 or a few years into the future, are, is there some sort of development, uh, some accomplishment, some some goal you think is attainable that we're on track to reach? It might be a, a game changer for maybe globally or even just for our region alone. When we think of the food and agriculture uh, value chain at Corteva or ecosystem, you know, we tend to think of farm to table, right? We always think of farm to table, but actually we think it's flipping, that it's actually more table to farm agriculture that's happening. And that's because of an increasingly more aware consumer, right? That are making demands on where the food comes from, how was it grown, you know, what was the footprint of that food or that that you want to feed. And you want not just the quantity of food, right? But you also want healthy, nutritious, and good food. And that uh, and so I think with what we need is perhaps the gap from the producer to the consumer to close in, to narrow. And I think if consumers are better aware of the true cost of food production and willing to pay for that, that will help address some of the challenges we have currently in the global food system. And so that I hope what that means is that there will be a sustainability dividend that the producers of our food will get. Because unless we do that, we really can't uh, you know, address the challenge we have, right? The, the farmers today that are producing our food definitely need to be going to bed with a full stomach if, if the rest of the consumers are. They're, and said right now, they're the ones going to bed hungry. So that's what I'd like to see happen. And I'm hopeful because we actually did a, a study of millennial and new, uh, Gen Z farmers and consumers uh, globally again, and found that uh, the result is actually that they have that shared value. They all want a sustainable food system. So if we know that, then I think the gap is probably not as wide as we think. And by empowering both the consumers and producers, we can actually get to the global sustainable food system that we want. Yeah. Well, that's really interesting. Yeah. That, that, thank you for that. Yeah. Uh, interesting perspective. Again, you see the awareness of consumers certainly rising in that area. So could could be. What a great development that would be. Well, thank you uh, for joining us. You're officially off the five good questions hot seat. We appreciate you joining us today, Elizabeth. I look forward to talking again soon. Thanks for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. And if you did, please rate, review, and subscribe. We look forward to bringing you another five good questions interview. 